1: please take a moment to like, subscribe, rate, review, all of the above on whatever app you're getting it from. American Glutton is brought to you by Trifecta. Maintenance has been the most important aspect of weight loss for me, and nothing has helped me more in that department than Trifecta. Visit Trifecta.com today to find out why they're the best at what they do. Today on American Glutton, my guests are Chef Daniel Holzman and award-winning food journalist Matt Rodbard. They're here to talk about their new book, Food IQ, 100 Questions, Answers, and Recipes to Raise Your Cooking Smarts. I'm excited to talk to them about the culture of food and the simple way they break down cooking for everyone at home. You can find them on Instagram at Chef Holzman and at Matt Rodbard matt rodbard and daniel holzman welcome to the american glutton podcast it's
2: great to be here thanks for having us buddy real excited
1: um so for me one of the biggest changes in my life came uh about when i learned that i could make stuff maybe not exactly as delicious as in a restaurant but i could approach it and also i then knew what was in it like i knew that a lot of the stuff that I loved eating at restaurants had butter in it or, uh, you know, they were b- brining stuff with sugar and and there were a lot of tricks in that way. But the other thing that it did is it allowed me to take control over that. And so that when I started to get really serious about dieting, I, I didn't feel like I was inept in the kitchen. But I do think today in America, we find a, a situation where a lot of people just don't know what to do. So I'm really excited about your book, Food IQ,
3: which could be very helpful to people. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like for a lot of reasons, Americans don't right now know how to cook. More folks are interested in cooking and fewer folks know how to cook than ever before in, in our history. It started in the 40s when, you know, between advertising and, and, and second wave feminism, um, people specifically stopped learning how to cook and then you know it's a it's something that's handed down through through the generations you learn how to cook from somebody Um, and so in a a world where where people really are rediscovering this um it's the greatest gift you can give yourself because as you say it gives you the opportunity to make choices and when you can make choices Mm -hmm. you can you know what choices you make are on you but, um, but giving you the, the, the empowerment to make those choices is, is, is something that I think everybody should have. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's it. That's even an
1: interesting slant that I hadn't considered. Um, but like just the familial recipes are disintegrating. I, I know most of the people I know have an ant with a recipe that's the best version of the thing. Mm-hmm. And those are always really good. But then just in a, in a general sense, I, I grew up with, uh, my mom and dad both worked, and a home cooked meal was like an occasion. It wasn't a a nightly practice.
2: Mm-hmm. Did you grow up eating um, fast food and eating processed food just because uh, your age? And I'm assuming we're all similar age. Or- I went. I would go
1: back and forth like that. My mom would put me on diets um, that. Were uh, we're all, uh, you know, we, I grew up in Los Angeles and I, w- I was put on all the fad diets as a kid. And so I would be eating, you know, macrobiotic food at one point mm. or, uh, you know, candida food in another point. And, and, and so I was being fed these meals that were very different than the way my family was eating and they were eating a lot of fast food. And then when people gave up on me in dieting, it was all fast food.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm hmm. I think the, the idea of the recipe is interesting. I, I'd like to marinate on that a bit, pun intended, of course, I, I feel like we um, right now are reading more recipes than ever as consumers of food media. That's where I come from. I'm, I'm a writer, a journalist, so to speak, or a food writer and Daniel's a chef. So I create recipe content uh, as my job at taste where I'm editor in chief. Um so I know there's this behavior of reading food content and reading food media but people as as we have acknowledged are not cooking as much. So with our book we're trying to to kind of negotiate the idea of what does a cookbook mean? Because right now we think that yes cookbooks stand as a document to cook from but also cookbooks are there to teach you about food, about culture to to grasp some cultural currency that we think that food is these days. It's not about watch collecting it's about collecting tahinis in the back of your, it's not just the, the, the health food store of tahini, it's like the, the artisanal tahini. That's what, you know, people talk about men, women. Um, so I think, I yeah, think- I mean,
3: I've, I think that's, that's really very pointless. I, I often find myself in a conversation with somebody who when I hear them talking about food, I think, man, this per- like, I don't think this person actually knows how to cook. <laughs> but like they sure as shit sound really like not like um, they, they're asking me questions about food stuff i'm like i don't think i know what that means like, like this guy right. the other day was like you know what's your favorite way to make like acid something around I, I, like, I
2: was like i was like
3: i don't even know what you're talking about man i'm like professional chef
2: yeah pretty by the way is called hing and it's this powder that is cooked it's used in indian cooking and it's like it's basically natural msg um and it's like when you cook, when you eat at Indian restaurants, you often will taste this deeply seasoned salt, but it's not like kosher salt. It's like t- it like excites the tongue. You get it on like lots of different dishes, and that's espatita, anyways. That's you know, I can't life,
1: wait so. to mess around with that. I'm a big fan of MSG personally. This is a controversial subject, but I was raised thinking MSG will kill you. And then through a little research and 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 going to places. Yes. That's a
3: question about MSG. Yes.
1: I well, I, I haven't read the book, so I hope you're friendly towards it. Seems like you are.
3: You know, we 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 <laughs> you know, for, for me, MSG plays a really big part in my cooking. And Matt and I have talked about it um from the very beginning, as it's just one of the most misunderstood, and it's such a funny time in our lives because it's a time when you know. The public outcry and, you know, is, has changed the, the, the commercially produced, you know, packaged foods in a way where they're taking all these ingredients out at the same time, chefs are starting to discover the same ingredients and put them in food and say, Hey, wait a second. These are, you know, this like MSG is magic um Mm -hmm. and as they try and take it out of packaged food unfortunately what happens is they find a way to put it back in in a in a in a way that is is usually less healthy usually has other ingredients associated with it to hide it Mm -hmm. um because people don't like to just i would rather see on my package msg than nine other chemicals that will create the compound yeah 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 and and if we're being like really
1: honest if you're talking to somebody about wanting to lose weight or be healthier the thing in doritos that is causing obesity is, or, or or health problems is not the msg it's just not you know
3: yeah i mean I, I i don't i'm obviously not a dietitian um and so it's hard for me because i can only speak to what's worked for me personally um and uh and and, and ultimately it seems like con- being conscious of what you're eating is the number one goal, right? Like actually paying attention every day to what you eat is going to do in whatever diet you choose is going to put you leagues and light years ahead yeah. of any other choice. Like yeah. you're just making a conscious choice. You know, what's going in your body. You're looking at your food. That's going to get you 90% of the way there in, it, for me at least. Right. Yeah.
1: No, no. no yeah. I completely agree with that. Have no disagreements. What are, I- well yes, go ahead.
3: No, I was just saying, and then you and then you become addicted to the experience of the, the helpfulness and you see that actual physical change and it becomes a that be that that becomes a, a a self-fulfilling driving force for you, right? Like it's like it's easy counting calories is a real pain in the butt. And then when you start to see the weight come off, you think that's exciting. Yeah, and then you have
1: a motivational benefit, but I squirm slightly simply because. Of- being raised on fad diets, I had a period in my life where I was told lectins are going to kill me and all of my weight issues will be solved if I don't eat lectins. And so suddenly my mom's peeling the cucumber and de-seeding it. And like, that's all I had to do. You know, it was this idea that there's one thing, it's the carbohydrates that are poisoning everybody. If you just stop eating those. And for me, Those were never remedies in in real terms. So being conscious of those things, I think I I like what you're saying, like overall, be conscious of what you're eating. But when you get to the point where you're like, this one food is the problem, unless you have some allergy or autoimmune, I, I then start to go like, okay, if you just hadn't had MSG, your life would be okay. I don't know if I can buy that,
3: you know. Well, we were were talking earlier about, you know, one diet that really does work is making your food not taste good. Yeah. Right? Because you just eat less. And MSG definitely enhances flavor. So, you know,
2: there is an argument that says MSG makes food taste better. You want to eat more of it. I'll tell you this. This is a story. (laughs) I'm friends with a couple of restaurant critics. And um, one in New York told me once um, he's, you know, reviewing 14 to 17 meals a week. He throws salt on all of his desserts. Wow. He has one bite and literally salts it. Cause like, you know, it's just the only way he's going to stop eating is yeah. to throw salt on the dessert. So I think it reminds me of that. It's like, that is truly one of the, the easiest ways to not eat. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well,
1: I, I, another thing that I, um I experienced was like when I first got very serious on a diet I, and I got super excited about cooking, I was like sublimating my experience with all these tasty foods that I was withholding from myself by cooking them for my kids. So I would make these elaborate meals. And part of that, like taught me how to do how to how to feel confident in the kitchen. Like I knew that the stuff I was churning out was good because it was all getting eaten and and asked for seconds, et cetera. Um, But then, like, I really like what you're saying, like there, there is a point where, like, not having to make the food exciting all the time is a useful tool in a diet.
3: I mean, when you, I'm backing up a little bit. You're you're
1: a chef. I don't want to offend you with this. No, it's
3: not. It's not not offensive. (laughs) I'm feeling the vibes here. That's, you know, I, what excites me and what I enjoy is making food taste delicious, as delicious as it can taste. And, you know, in some cases that means taking, frozen vegetables off the shelf at the supermarket and saying, Hey, are like when we, when we went, when we wrote food IQ, we really said, let's, let's try and take our, 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 our personal biases out of the equation. A lot of this started Matt had a night was, 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 was cooking with some canned beans and I was making <laughs> fun of him and saying, you know, you're, you're lazy. He's
2: trolling me on Instagram. Yeah. Truly. That's and the story of this one. Ultimately, <laughs> <laughs>
3: So, you know, we, we basically said, well, why don't we take our biases out of this and really say, Hey, let's, let's, let's taste what these canned beans taste like. Let's cook with frozen food. Let's cook with, um, with, with, with packaged foods and see what, what is really there. And we have a lot of biases that come from, um, 50, 60, 70 years ago. You know, like I think of canned beans as being terrible or frozen vegetables being terrible because of what I learned um, in my childhood, which was literally 40 years ago, right? And they weren't that great, but technology has changed and there's new opportunities, and we are we constantly have to question what is out there and and, and give ourselves a second
2: chance. And I'd say another bias is snobbery. Like I'm I come from a world of food writing, and I think we are the, the snobbiest group of people around. Like we 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 put everything, we covet seasonality. Rightly so in most cases, but sometimes we go a little overboard. But as we write in Food IQ, like frozen vegetables are great. Like there are certain frozen vegetables, like peas, for example, you you cook with frozen peas. Those are the greatest peas you're going to ever have. If you ever tried to like cook from peas in like May on the East Coast from the farmer's market after shelling for 15 minutes, they're not that good. So in the book, our point is that we are like, yes, cook with frozen peas. Yes, cook with some frozen fish also make this risotto recipe that's like right at the end of the page at the end of the question because we feel like food IQ is like not just reading the answer but applying it through a recipe and that's what we do in the book each question has a recipe so like this risotto frozen's great and what's another frozen food uh, frozen?
1: I'm dying to know what your what your frozen fish suggestions are like yeah. what well, so, fish
3: freeze as well the thing about fish you know is The technology again has really, it's just, there's, there's been light years of leaps where, you know, they're freezing stuff individually quick frozen IQF on the boat when it comes out of the water. Um, And so they're locking in the freshness. Now the faster you freeze something, the less the cell structure of the actual food is, 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 is broken down. So you don't get that freezer burn. Right. Um, When you, you know, when you go to, I get a lot of frozen food from, from Costco, I get a lot of frozen food from, um, from from Whole Foods now owned by Amazon, so actually the quality of the frozen section has gone way up. Interestingly, oh, enough. Wow. Um, and the price has gone way down. Interestingly, interestingly enough, enough um, yeah. but you know what I found is shrimp have shrimp have always been you know a, a, a great frozen fish product, seafood product. Shellfish in general tends to freeze well, like scallops. Or, you know you find scallops, but all of those individually packaged pieces of salmon, cod, halibut that, you know, the choice that you make of how you want to cook it is what's going to as well affect the quality
2: of your outcome, right? I'd also
1: like to, wait, I want to know your suggestions for defrosting it too. This is where I run into some issues.
2: That's a great call. And I'll just, can I just jump in too and say, when you're buying a fish in the fish counter, that's frozen. So like the whole process and you bring up defrosting, that is what you're paying the $36 a pound for. It's the defrosting technique. So you go, yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah, I mean, the the best way to defrost something is slowly, yeah. right? The best way to freeze something is quickly, the best way to defrost is slowly. So if you could defrost in your refrigerator overnight, um, you're going to, you're, it's going it's going to maintain its integrity or as much as possible. For me, the real choice you get to make is then how you want to cook it. So Frozen salmon always has a bit of a fishy flavor to me, so I tend to cook frozen salmon with a stronger, m- uh, more flavorful sauce. Yeah. Um, frozen, you know, fattier fish tend to get a little bit more of a, of a of a fish flavor when when after they've been frozen, especially fish with skin on them. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like a white flaky fish like a cod, tends not not to really get that. So, you know, and t- and cod has a much lighter flavor profile, right? So maybe you would, you would use a, a, a lighter flavored sauce. You would
2: poach a cod and you would grill a mackerel. Like yeah, you would hard sear grill a mackerel because of that fat content, but with cod you can, you know, it's much lighter. So I think yeah. that's saucing is is great example. Right.
3: And then we had a fun because, you know, I grew up in a place it sound in a, in a home with a hippie mom who was anti-microwave and anti-frozen and Slam. anti-air conditioning and <laughs> anti-TV and you know, anything that had bad food. my, meanwhile, she's 80 years old and riding her bike to the beach with the kids. So like whatever she did, it worked. So I don't (laughs) want to disparage it. Like turns out the hippies were right. Um, But, um, but, you know, so it was an opportunity writing food IQ is an opportunity to explore. Like what does the microwave do? Is it going to, you know, is it immediately going to kill me or make my food taste bad or, and give me bad vibes or are there, or is it a tool that has really great qualities that I should consider using for certain things? And when we paired frozen fish with, microwave poaching you find man you can actually get a really delicious healthy flavorful meal in like 15 minutes finally um, we we take a piece of frozen yeah uh, we take a piece of frozen cod we put mushrooms and a little bit of butter white wine and salt and you put a piece of plastic wrap over the top microwave it and then let it sit so that you know frozen cooks on the outside m- the middle stays frozen it steams its way through and it's like Man, like, you know, you're you're talking about like dormitory bachelor level cooking that's delicious. Or
2: I'll add where, where this question kind of was hashed out is in a conversation. So in the book, we talked several hours per question and we, we were Zooming a lot during the pandemic. He learned that at Le Bernardin. I'm just going to say it. That's where Whoa. He <laughs> Daniel worked at Le Bernardin. Eric Gopère blurbed our book. Great guy. This is not their normal cooking. But I think anyone who knows anything about restaurants, the microwave is used often and at Le Bernardin, as we write, there is a microwave involved in, in, in one of the dishes, right? I mean, that uh, that might be my my
3: infamous legacy of, of Le Bernardin <laughs> I was introducing microwave cooking. Um, I, I should be both embarrassed and maybe like you know burnt at the steak.
0: So, so this Dude, is a heretic. I, the-
3: I was in
1: the kitchen once at Le Bernardin, and it looked like a, like a NASA research room. It was so clean, I couldn't believe it. And there were screens with um Keller was like zooming in to, to watch what was happening in the kitchen. It was wild.
3: I remember as a young man, um, you know, my, it was my first job, real kitchen job, and I had to wear white pants. Mm-hmm. And well, the white pants were the hardest part, you know. White pants, it was all white, but white pants were a thing that you don't really wear in general, um, not after Labor Day at least. <laughs> and so that was, uh, that, was, that was the biggest challenge for me working there. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, my God. And then everybody from what
1: I saw, I mean, I think I got there at the beginning of service. So it wasn't like deep into the weeds, but everybody's whites were sparkling clean. I don't know how that's possible.
2: They call it soinier. I mean, everything needs to be in its place. And and honestly, um, it's the sign of uh, definitely the sign of a restaurant with a really tight dress code. <laughs>
3: I'll say. I, well, I will say this, though, you know, I work in a, I work in a pizzeria now and all the guys wear, um, wear white white wear shirts. And it's like a sign of pride, you know, like you're working with red sauce, you working in a fast paced environment, yeah. you're hustling through it. You wear this white brand new starch t-shirt. They talk in LA, I guess it's a thing. Like you wear it with the folds. Yeah. Like it's out of the box, it's out of the package. It's still got the folds, it's brand new. Mm-hmm. It's like a sign of pride. And you wear that white t-shirt into the pizzeria, get through the day without a stain. And it's like, you know, I'm better than you. Right, you are. <laughs> you're be-
1: certainly better than me. I couldn't be. <laughs> Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Do you ever find that the broader social media platforms are a little bit impersonal? Well, I do too. Sometimes it's hard to cut through all the noise on them. So we've started a Patreon. And it's got all the normal things a Patreon podcast typically has, like bonus ad-free and video episodes. But the part I'm loving the most is the American Glutton Discord channel, which is only available through Patreon. If you want to chat about diets or recipes workout routines, or motivation, it's all happening there. So search up American Glutton on Patreon to join the community
0: today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight.
1: So I'm glad the microwave plays some use. This was, this is something that I, and I've been, you know, messing with microwaves for 30 plus years. I still am not totally convinced that I know how to defrost stuff in the microwave. I, I, it's so hit or miss to me. So to have some kind of a gauge where I'm looking at it and going like, this is how you accurately use it. You know, There are defrost settings and, and they never seem to work the same.
3: Let, let me say this. I think that the right the, that the same way that the instant pot re, uh, reinvented and reintroduced the pressure, pressure cooker, cooker, we're going to see the microwave re-engineered um, in our in the near future. You know where you see you know you yeah. see it coming out of commercial kitchens where you see microwaves that also employ um, uh, 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 regular um, technology of convection ovens. So you see like um, convection microwaves in toaster ovens at, you know, like you see them in every Starbucks.
2: That's what toasts your toasties up there. And there's a whole line of, of, of cookware. There's a brand called All Day, which I, you know, no plug, no money changing hands, no no Venmo in my pocket. But I, I got to say, they sent me one of their, their bowls and it has this seal on it. Um, it's a glass bowl with a really like a suction cup on it. And it really, and they have some instructions for cooking with it. And I think to Daniel's point, there is going to be a revolution around the microwave. I think David Chang writes about it as well in his new cookbook too. It's definitely um, taking um, the approach of convenience and and really just leaning into it uh, and feeling like it's okay to be convenient. We are busy people. There are moments when you should take six hours to cook. We have a whole section of projects in the at the end of the book where we say like using your sourdough starter to make crackers like make your own crackers like it's really worth it we have 12 recipes where it's super worth it but one of the things it's not worth it is like sometimes like cooking fish as we just noted and like using this microwave as a tool it's like it's okay to to cook quickly like that's a big part of food iq
1: and so this brand you're talking about with the lid
2: that lid doesn't pop off in the microwave because that's another issue i have it is a space so it has a little vent on it i'm I'm really i'm not like bullshitting It, it really changed the way i i do um cook vegetables in the in the microwave sometimes will you tell me um, the name again it's called all day i believe I I can the the link but um it's 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 cool like but you know you could do you could definitely use another product too i think there's definitely other other ways to cook in the microwave too you don't need to have the fancy all day
3: i i feel like in general you know when it comes to cooking um we're so obsessed with how can I make the thing that I want right this second as fast and easy as possible? Yeah. And the answer is, well, you know, that doesn't always work. And I don't think we're always honest with ourselves about that. I think folks that sell, sell cookbooks and sell, you know, um, uh, food gadgets are always trying to say like, Oh, we can sell you this thing that you take a frozen chicken and it's the best roast chicken you've ever had in, in 12 minutes. And the answer is like, that's really not the case. A roast, a great roast chicken it takes 24 hours to cook. You got to salt it. And ask any chef, you want a great roast chicken? You got to salt it the day before. So if you want chicken, that's delicious
2: in 12 minutes, don't make a roast chicken, make a different choice. <laughs> and it it, it it reminds me of this idea of, of cooking isn't always the active cooking time. It's about the preparation. Most a lot, there's recipes where you really just want to think about it in advance with the shopping. And then with the brining of meat, we talk about the seasoning and brining and, and really universally Um, food should be salted at about one to one and a half percent by weight. And to us, this is across the board. So we, we really think there's like a, probably a misperception about how to season food. And people oftentimes say like this vegetable receives a small amount of salt and this thing needs to be overly salted, but in general, it's using your, your digital scale, pre-salting your meat salting your, or salting your vegetables during active cooking. But that's one of the, the questions that we really were asked a lot when we were researching this book, when we sent out a questionnaire to like a hundred of our friends, it was like, how do you salt? Like it's season, you know? I mean, <laughs> it's just like the number one
3: question that comes through is, you know, I've got this piece of fish. Here's how I was planning on cooking it. And they list 12 ingredients. You think, okay, well, you know you're never going to learn how to do anything by over you know starting over overly complicating um the trick is start with salt yeah cook it see yeah. how it tastes then you'll know like did i add too much salt did i add not enough salt <laughs> right. one variable right did <laughs> i overcook it did i undercook it very clear then you can start to add stuff in once you kind of understand it and that that for me is is everything and when you you talked earlier about you know um Every, about the, the individual ingredients that you're cooking, every one of them needing to be delicious or 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 every meal having to be, you know, directly uh, uh, flavor based or 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 uh, or the, the, the flavor centric. For me, it's like a bowl of green beans that are steamed with black pepper are delicious, just full stop. And it doesn't need to have anything more, no, nothing more complicated than that. Frankly, adding anything is usually going to diminish the quality from there, right? Yeah. So it's like it's you, can, you can be the, the goal of a chef, especially in California where the ingredients are so good, is like get out of the way yeah. of yourself. Edit, edit it down and highlight the quality of what you're serving. Unless it happens to not be that great, in which case, put a sauce on top. Of it. No, no, I completely agree
1: with you. And, and, and I will be totally frank today. Uh, if I make a chicken breast and some broccoli and some rice or potato, it's going to be delicious to me. There happened to be a point in my life where I don't know if it was the burst of fats or carbohydrates or, you know, hidden MSG even potentially that made me feel like I wasn't getting the same thing from that as I was from a big Mac and chicken nuggets and sweet and sour sauce. Mm. And so I had to really take a minute where I was like, I want to change the way I'm experiencing food. And I want to be able to enjoy this simpler stuff because it was, it was a, there was a learning curve
3: there for my body. Do you think that's because you were reprogramming your pleasure centers to really appreciate it or what, what do you think that is as we're, we're, we're animals, right? Evolved of bears looking for honey because it's got high calories and it's going to get us through the winter. And, you know, for the first time in, in any animal history, there's just an overage of everything. We can have more, you know, food, sex, sleep than, than, than we need in order to, you know, be healthy for ourselves. Um, so how do we, how do you really reprogram that? I'm an addict. And so
1: like, you know, it, when food is so complicated because like booze and drugs, I just don't do. And that's kind of, and I don't want to make light of it. It's not that it's simple, but it is simple in that. I just don't do it. And and whether I struggle with that or not, I just don't do it. Food, you can't turn off, right? You got to consume something. And so I received similar dopamine hits or addictive pleasures in compulsively overeating and overeating these really, really calorically high meals. And so it was kind of a reprogramming of like, uh, it took a few years to get to the point where, you know, a tablespoon of gochujang now is going to blow my mind. Whereas it would have taken, you know, an hour at the all you can eat Korean barbecue to get that same kind of hit of pleasure.
2: Love that you bring up Gojijan, to be honest, because I feel like one part about healthful eating in my personal um experience from my experience is really finding those high impact, low impact uh, ingredients. you know, low low fat, zero fat, low carbs, you know low sodium, but high in flavor. I, to me, Gojijan is a great example. Yes, there is sodium. It's natural from the ten from the the bean paste. But you want to find these, these moments where your palate is just woken up and like, yeah, like previously I was also eating a lot of fast food and and eating things that maybe I thought my pleasure centers were going to be fired by, but then I discovered Korean food. I wrote a book about Korean food back a few years ago. And like, I just, it opened up a world. And if you go to Korea and you actually look at how they cook, how Koreans are cooking, it's not beef based. Beef is more rare there. It is a seafood based diet. It is a peninsula. Could talk all day about Korean food here, but he just like brought it up that in in, in the Korean diet, it's balanced and it's based on these jongs that have an absolute high impact, low impact quality to them.
1: Yeah, I I personally find the what you're talking about to be the easiest kind of substitution with a whole plethora of Asian stuff. So like even if it's like um, black vinegar or yeah. ponzu sauce or something like this where it's like really not messing with my calories but it's really creating you yeah. know well,
3: i'm talking- I- oh, sorry sorry no, Let me tell you no go ahead you talk about the idea of like the opposing flavors on your tongue that that make that simulation happen when you talk about ponzu sauce you've got you know salt and acid which are real like your tongue only tastes four things right And then everything else, all the other flavors that we think of when we think about the complexity of food come from our olfactory or nose or smell or we're smelling stuff that was highlighted to me recently. I got COVID lost my sense of smell. And it was like, Whoa, this thing I knew you didn't know until it actually happened. And so many of us have experienced that recently, you know, when you can excite your, your, your taste buds. And I think Asian food specifically, you know, whether it's in Chinese food where you see a lot of like sweet and uh, and, and salty together, or in, in, in Japan, you see a lot of sour and salty together, where it's kind of like we've had as kids, remember those, those uh, like sour head candies where it's like either spicy and sour, you're taking two of the, of the taste buds that of two of the four and you're like overloading and your brain is confused. Whereas Naturally, you're sated because your you the your you, fat in your stomach is slowly sending a message back up to your brain, which is why if you eat slowly, eventually you get full. Whereas, you know, the faster you eat, you can eat more. Mm-hmm. That makes right. sense. Um, so you're able to stimulate those same, those, those same like uh, uh sated sensors
2: in your brain with ingredients rather than with fat. Ethan, have yeah. you messed with Yuzu Kosho ever? Yuzu Kosho, does that sound familiar? No. It's a Japanese condiment that's with yuzu. So citrus and there's pepper in it and there's salt in it and you can cook meat. You can rub it on meat and cook with it. You can use it as a condiment in dipping sauces. It's it's amazing. And it comes in, it's beautiful packaging. It comes in these little like little jars. uh, And we write about it. We write about Yuzu Kosho and, and it's, Fun part about food right now is like the collecting of condiments, right? Like, I mean, it's amazing. That's what I do, and
1: it's almost—I mean, it is crazy how much of it is Asian-based, and then I have like my four Italian spices if I want to, if I'm feeling like eating Italian food. But it is almost all Asian.
3: Yeah, I feel like you know, again, the same way that food has been food processing has made you know a lot of a uh, uh, progress. We've seen a lot of progress in in import and export, right? And relations between countries and then refrigeration. I mean, these are all not new because they've been around for a hundred years, but really these technologies are just starting to become inexpensive enough that we're starting, you know, where, where you can get high quality citrus from Japan in Los Angeles or in New York or or Chicago. Or Chicago. Houston,
2: Atlanta.
3: And that's something that we, we couldn't have before. So, you know, when the when every ingredient in the world is available at our fingertips, all of a sudden it opens up. And then the downside of that is obviously, you know, what what is it what what does that mean for the world? What is it doing for people? What is it doing for culture? That's a, a different topic. <laughs> yeah. We're just talking about how to make it taste as good as possible.
1: Well, I mean I'm I'm all for making it taste as good as possible. I just need to make sure that I'm not experiencing it. In a uh, compulsive way. You know what I mean? Like I'm going, like, what does my body need out of this food? And I'm going to give it that. And I want to enjoy that also.
3: I also feel like we, man, it's so tough. Like, you know, what does what does a good life mean? And 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 how how healthy should I be um, for it to be before it becomes unhealthy? I mean, I've definitely have friends that are um, that are health obsessed to the level where, you know, it takes over everything in their lives. And, you know, ultimately that's for each individual to choose and, and make, make to say, like, if, if, if going to the gym all day and, and, and really having a super austere diet is brings you joy, then, mm-hmm. then that's, then that's what brings you joy as a person whose life revolves around food, you know, um, uh, 165 pounds is my fight weight. Uh, 180 pounds is my happy weight. 100, mm-hmm. You know, 200 pounds is my weight.
2: 200 pounds <laughs> is my,
3: you know, I can't touch my toes and I'm having a hard time tying my shoes without panting weight. You know, okay. we got to find the balance. But I, I'm, I'm happier at 180 than I am at 165 each individual.
1: Yeah, 100 percent. And, and uh, you know, I, I can only associate places with food and I'm not going to lose my I love to travel and I'm not going to ever lose that because, you know, and I've done it where I'm on a diet and I'm miserable. And Mm. then I've done it where I've gone, like, uh, if I'm mostly adhering to my plan, but I'm going to have Joe at Pepe in Rome, that's okay too, you know, or something like that, something of that nature. I went to China just to eat roast duck in an alleyway because that was my China trip. You know what I mean? And so that that's what I enjoyed doing in China. I I also went to the great wall. I I don't remember that nearly as much as the roast duck I had where um where
3: in China. Do you remember?
1: In in Beijing, Li Kwan roast duck. Amazing. Amazing.
2: Writing that down. Now you got my pen out, right? Yeah. Traveling for food is a, is a cool topic. I feel like right now in this day and age, we we call it, we we think the foodie has been reclaimed or foodie 2.0 and the foodie has won. We think traveling for food is is obviously at the top of mind, but, but also creating that balance and not feeling the pressure, the cosmic pressure that you have to hit the 12 restaurants on the list. I mean, as a writer, I mean, I'm always challenged by that. I'm, I'm hanging out in LA these days and I'm challenged because I want to feel good about myself and feel healthy, but I also want to try carne asada. I want to try, I want to try Korean food. I want to sample all the cuisine here. So I think, striking that balance and going into the trip and having like, like really thinking like there's three victories I want during this trip and being like, I'm going to appreciate it in the moment, not doing it for the gram, not doing it for my story. I'm going to appreciate it in the moment. It sounds slightly corny, but I I really do believe in this, that if you are in the moment when eating, ultimately that's going to be your, 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 your unlock. Like that's going to make you a happier eater as opposed to like fishing for the phone, uh, fishing for the next place. It's a, it's that rush, rush, rush. Don't do that. If you can, I mean, I, I, struggle with it all the time, but
1: don't go anywhere. We'll be right back in an attempt to create more of a community. We are branching out and taking our Q and a episodes and the American glutton social club to Patreon. We're inviting you to join us on Patreon to have more interaction, less of me talking at you and more of me talking with you. You can join today for extra episodes, discounts, and so much more, like the Patreon-only Discord. So go find me at American Glutton on Patreon. Okay, I I keep having this thought, and I want to know your guys' take on it. I buy every new gadget. I had a pressure cooker long before there was the Instapot. um, And at the time, I could only find one that was so big, it was made for kitchens. This is like... Maybe 15 years ago, I actually wound up giving it to a chef, a buddy of mine named Alan Hall, because it took so long to build up the pressure and I wasn't ever cooking for more than like four people. Um, And so he still uses it in his kitchen. But We're friends of this guy's. Oh, good! I, I like this man. He's yeah. a good dude. He's a they good know. dude. He's, really good. Um, he's actually a guy who has uh, completely changed the way I look at vegetables. Like I, I'm not such a huge fan of vegetables, but the stuff he does with them, I'm like, I want to eat those vegetables when you cook them. I'm. I, he's a good, good, solid dude. Um, but what about gadgets? Because I have the sous vide machine. I have two different air fryers. I have you know, every single food, I have a smoker, I have a barbecue, like every single thing, uh, food processors, blenders, what, what is a thing that you think of that is super handy to have that can
3: maybe stop somebody from being me? (laughs) The, the word. So basically, first of all, we we have a whole chapter in the, in the, in in food IQ that's, Tools and technology, basically, where we take you know the twelve kind of like most talked about gadgets in the kitchen are the ones that we think are the most important, and we talk about how to use them. And you know, we take we take an instant pot, and we really say, you know, as a chef, it's very, very, it's very popular to be snooty and, and snobby and say, you know, an instant pot is for you know dilettantes or whatever. But the reality is that each of these, many of these, these tools have, if if used for the right purpose, are are really really. Helpful. My personal, and it's such an embarrassing thing to say. My like your iPhone, your your smartphone is probably your number one tool in the kitchen, right? It's the thing <laughs> you're reaching for. It's the calculator. It's your recipes. Um, so there's no question about it that 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 has a place in the kitchen. Um, give me a stick, um, uh, two sticks, um, and I'll make fire and cook you a delicious meal or ceviche with um, without a stick involved at all, no fire. But so if you need a good knife <laughs> for the ceviche the you know yeah. if if buying a tool or a new gadget is going to inspire you to spend more time in the kitchen, then there's no bad aspect, right? Um for me, the more time you spend with food, the easier, the faster it becomes, the more healthy mm-hmm. and the and the and the more of a habit it is for you, um the better, right?
2: And whatever entices you to do that is great. For me, honestly, it's really good scissors. I I mean it. I, I think extremely, like, I think you can get KitchenAid, you can get Henkel, but I really think having a sharp pair of scissors that are always there for you and not being scared to touch food with those scissors. So opening a package of chicken with those scissors, cutting vegetables, cutting a salad, like elements of a salad with scissors. To me, I, I, it's it's ultimately having that sanitary set and having that unsanitary set and being comfortable using it. I, I think that's simple. Also, a really good rice cooker that costs like forty five dollars. Japan J- Japanese models. I've 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 always enjoyed. Uh, I just feel like that to me. And rice, you know, you you can debate if rice is something you want to eat a lot of, but I think in moderation, um, it's great. But it, ultimately, cooking rice can be challenging on the stovetop. I think it can be challenging. And if, if you're not balancing water and, and starch, it's going to, you know, there's going to be some issues. So. A Dude, great rice night-
1: is a nightmare. Making rice is a total nightmare. And how much do you rinse it? And is it, uh, yeah. it, it, it I, I've a uh, rice cooker. I, I, I completely agree with you. If you're eating rice, it's, it's a game
2: changer. So to answer the question about washing it, I would wash it twice. I think you throw away the first water keep that second water around and cook with it. So say you're making like a a Korean stew or making any kind of soup and you need a stock and you don't want to use better than bullion, which by the way is totally cool. We talk about bullion, but use that rice water as a base. It's delicious. It is full of that starchy water. It gets texture, adds a little bit of flavor, and umami. Uh, and then and then rice rinse it one more time. So three times. That's just like the quick, my quick answer for rice. Do you, do you disagree? Yeah, we mean, do disagree sometimes, by the way. <laughs> so-
1: but I think you gotta rinse it even if it's even if it's in a rice cooker. I but oh sure. rice on the stovetop for me has, I've never, if I, if I make it well, it's a, it's a, I've won the lottery.
3: Obviously, you know, there are techniques when, when you don't want to, when you want that starch, like with risotto specifically, yes. You want that starch, and don't rinse your rice specifically when you're making a um, uh, uh, what's the kanji? You know, the big pan where you paella, a paella. You don't necessarily rinse rice. So I think that there there are techniques where you want the starch, but when you want the individual kernels of 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 rice, then then rinsing them plays a big part. Uh, ultimately, rice cookery is is an art. Um, you know, I I was embarrassed. About five or six years ago, a friend of mine said, Hey, I want to cook, you know, was was cooking for with him, he and his his new wife to as a as a present. And he said, mm-hmm. You know, I want to make this rice dish. And I just ruined it. I mean, it was mushy garbage. And I thought, this is so embarrassing. You know, I'm this kind of like accolated chef. You like to say that? Accolated?
2: Yeah, uh, acclaimed. Minor acclaim.
3: I I'm this know. genius. I'm a smart guy, um, uh, and um, and I was really embarrassed. And it, and then I, I I really went home and I spent I've spent the last really five years making it my 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 goal to learn how to cook rice. And it's I mean it's it's spectacular. I mean a lot of the world um, sustains itself oh, yeah. on rice cookery. Rice is a magical, green. Um, Yotam, Yotam Yotam. I was about Yotam, to say it. Yotam Otolangi. He this guy. Yeah. You re- you buy his cookbook and he, you know he has five or six different rice preparations in there that take days. It's spectacular, and the outcome is—I uh, mean, it'll blow your mind. Or they it the all rice. stovetop. Yeah. Uh, the uh, yeah. a stove stovetop cooking. You know, a lot of um, a lot of a lot of you know either steamed preparations where it's par cooked and then mixed with other ingredients and then cooked further or or, um, or rinse for a long time, you know, soaked overnight, soaked for hours and then, and then steamed, And you find, you know, you can really get into it. Rice kind of like the same way that, that, that flour, you know, really simple grain is the base of so much of our food, uh, you know, so many bread, so many different varied foods. Rice has the same kind of, uh, 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 the, that has, has the same ability. It has, it has a ton of, ton of different applications. Mm -hmm. Really, really phenomenal. I've
1: made made glutinous rice and you have to soak that for a long time and then steam it. And, and that actually, I, I, I think I did okay with, but just like I want a cup of rice with my food and I'm going to throw something on the stovetop. I always fail.
3: Yeah. The rice cooker helps. Realistically though, if, if next time you do it, put it in a pot of water and just like, there's, you're getting the the starch, put it in a pot of water and soak it. Yeah. The soaking
2: is good too. With a pinch of
3: salt. You soak it for a pinch of salt for whatever it is a half an hour and then, and then cook it um, with less water than you think. And you'll probably come. And once
2: again, the callback to what we were talking about earlier is it's cooking is not about the active time. It's about the preparation and, um, and it's picking the, the moment. So you decide you want to have that, that great rice experience. It might not be right after work when you're, when you just arrived home, you know, from daycare or for, for wherever from the gym, it might not be the moment and being okay and accepting that that might not be the moment to make rice. It might be a moment to actually, you know, let's put some frozen fish in the microwave, Right. seven minutes of microwaving.
3: The other thing about rice is rice freezes really well, you know, so that's good. M- rice yeah. freezes and, re- and microwave uh, microwave reconstitutes really well. So like when you do make rice, you make a pot of rice, You take it, you put it in Ziploc bags or freezer safe bags, you throw them in the freezer as portions and you take that portion bag, throw it in your microwave for, you know, whatever it is, two minutes and you get perfect fresh. Every, every family that I know of that eats a lot of rice has a freezer freezer full of bags of
2: rice. Also herbs too. Herbs freeze extremely well, which I think sometimes is forgotten. So if you have a wonderful garden and you got all these herbs, you can freeze your herbs.
1: Was part of you guys wanting to write this noticing how many people just suddenly were reliant on DoorDash or Uber Eats or Postmates during the pandemic? Was that part of it?
3: Um, I, you know, I don't I don't hate the as a restaurant guy. I'm a big fan of you ordering in. Thank sure. you very much. You know, I have <laughs> I, got a pizzeria and, um, you know, every time you order pizza, it's, it's a win for me. So I don't think there's anything negative about that. I think a big part of it was just that it was really us the joy that both of us have from cooking from diff- completely different perspectives. It, it just, it really, it's like when you, you know, when you get your first bicycle as a kid and all of a sudden your world opens up, um, yeah. you know, when, when you buy your first house as an adult and all of a sudden you're like, holy shit, I didn't, you have your first kid. And next thing, you know, it's like my world changes upside down. Um, Learning to cook is it, it it really opens up your world in the same in the same way where it's just you get so much more out of life. Food is so much easier and faster and cheaper and 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 pleasureful. And, you know, when you go to the farmer's market, for me, I go to the farmer's market. I want to buy everything. It's like I'm going to Toys R Us mm-hmm. as a kid. I think
2: Toys R Us is. Toys R Us is probably in is chapter eleven, but it's a good reference book <laughs> for the older generation. I'll answer that question. We wrote this book because we we felt that there were people who were just on the edge of becoming really active, happy home cooks. They just had these these questions that and they needed. They really just we were they were so close. Yes, they might have had an active DoorDash account, but they were also you know that pre pandemic and post pandemic you know entertaining a lot, having people over and wanting to, you know, flex in that way, which is, which is great. And we felt like people, um, the generation, Gen Z, millennials, ex exer- like all sorts of generations were kind of in the same boat kind of cross generations and we felt that if you had these 100 answers these 100 questions and these 100 answers you'd be so much closer to having those active cooking like that pleasurable moment that Daniel's speaking about that real deep pleasure of home cooking it's just like sometimes you just don't know who to ask or what to ask so we're kind of taking it's
3: like not that complicated it's like you just cook. uh, cooking
2: i might debate that <laughs> cooking is
3: <laughs> it can be complicated it's over people overcomplicate it man they make it it's seem true. P, you know, it's like, we all want it. It's all self-aggrandizing as you know, we, we, you, are a chef, you want to write a recipe. It's like, it has to be more, you know, you don't want to just say it's so simple, man. And the, unfortunately, the simpler it is, the more, um, it comes down to your own personal experience of being able to know exactly when it's done. Right. Like the simpler the recipe the More important individual ingredients and cooking technique become because there's nothing to hide behind this is the complicated, but
2: I'm calling you out on that one. Honestly, do not agree whatsoever with <laughs> really? that. Cooking is extremely difficult at times. Cooking is it, it takes a lifetime to master cooking. So like a fellow. Like Othello- I think also if
1: you're cooking for other people, Ooh. there's a lot of weight on your shoulders. For me, so, if, I'm, if I'm just cooking for myself and I make something that's not great, then it's like, okay, I, I didn't make this great. I'll eat it anyway, whatever. it doesn't matter. But if you're sitting at a table with people and you're serving
2: them something that you know is not good, that can really suck. I'll say to economics play. we need we can't hide from that fact when you when you're shopping for a dinner party, you've spent three hundred dollars on everything and you started burning, you know, the the halibut that you spent like seventy eight dollars <laughs> on. I mean, it's very, very, very tough. and well, hopefully you-,
1: you now have some frozen <laughs> cod that you can microwave and serve and surprise the hell out of them.
2: I'll say this chefs are the cheapest people, and Daniel can can back me up on this and I think in a good way, chefs are cheap. and in the book, we talk about money a lot because money shouldn't be hidden. You shouldn't like hide from money. I think food writing has has unfortunately been very entitled world for many people. And it's been very privileged. And like money, we got to talk about money with a lot of things in life. And like, we talk about just ways that you don't have to, you know, spend the amount of money that you think you have to spend. And beef is a great example. I mean, there's a lot of examples. I mean, you have to spend thirty-five dollars on our cookbook, but after <laughs> <No>. that, <it's, laughs> after
3: that, it's all, uh, I, no. I'll, I'll, again, it's about empowering you to make the decisions you want to make, so that you feel confident when you're buying the fancy steak that you're not going to screw it up and waste your money. But as importantly, equally importantly, you understand that you know chicken thighs have the most flavor, are are the are the uh, um, and and are the least expensive cut of the chicken, and you shouldn't shy away. You know, Americans are programmed with the most expensive is the best um and and god bless our economy uh and the fact that we're all you know got toothbrushes and it's a wonderful life to live uh uh, today for us but um many uh, some (laughs) choosing choosing the expensive ingredient isn't 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 always the um the best way to go and certainly the more you learn about cooking the more it opens up your your ability to make make those choices
1: don't go anywhere we'll be right back gals Have you ever seen a professional bodybuilder at the gym? They almost always, and this is in fair or foul weather, come in wearing at least one sweatshirt. Usually the hood is pulled up and oftentimes there's a towel crammed in there to keep even the slightest breeze off their necks. And when the sweatshirt comes off, watch out for the ubiquitous tank top underneath. Well, you know where you can get sweatshirts, gym towels, and tank tops? The American Glutton store, that's where. And fellas, don't think we've left you out. We've got windbreakers for the real savages. Anyone working out in a windbreaker has unlocked legend status in my book. And if your feet get cold when you're wearing shoes, we've got socks too. Visit americanglutton.net slash shop today and level up your gym game. That's americanglutton.net slash shop. I think it does come down to like how you were raised, but like, I I will prefer, uh, you know, a hot dog in Echo Park to a hot dog at Pink's that you have to stand online for. Um, And then I'll eat Musubi with one of my kids while the other three and my wife are nauseated that we're eating meat that came out of a can. You, You know what I mean? Like, this is a very big turnoff to them. So I think that that kind of stuff plays a deal, but, but. I do naturally think that a five wagyu is going to be better
3: than, you know, Ralph's sirloin. Look, there's no question about that. that there, there are ingredients that have more energy put into them and have an inherent quality and a Ralph's sirloin versus a five wagyu one is, one, you know, it's like you're saying, Hey, you think that, uh, you know, Ralph's eggs are, are not as good as caviar. And it's like, well, it's certainly if you're trying to make an omelet, the eggs are going to be a lot better than the caviar. <laughs> but, but 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 as a delicacy and a specialty ingredient on you know on New Year's Eve when I'm toasting my 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 my, my years accomplishments and looking forward to a new one, yeah, I want something special and and, and wagyu you know um, uh, Japanese wagyu beef is is very 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 special. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, and a ton of energy goes into raising something specifically to make it the most
2: delicious thing it can possibly be. Yeah. Um, we, we write about Wagyu, by the way, on, as an aside, American Wagyu versus Kobe versus Japanese A5. And it's an interesting topic the beef production in East Asia. I feel like it, it definitely has great marketing, you know, hallelujah to marketing. Um, one thing about cuts of meat and prices, like, I mean, braising, um, slow cooking, braising um, is how you take a cheap cut. We, we address cheap cuts. And how do you, it's time and it's using the right flavors. You talked about that on this, on this conversation too. And it's really like being able to have the confidence of a slow braise for that dinner party versus a grilling of a massive ribeye tomahawk that you've paid two, two bills for. They're both very, very, very good and both very acceptable. Honestly, a home-cooked meal as a, as a host, you know, cooking for your friends and family I think we as home cooks put too much pressure on ourselves to make it look Instagram worthy or Bon Appetit magazine cover worthy. Ultimately, it's the hospitality. It's the love in the room. I, I, I mean, it, it sounds corny, but I mean it. You really just like the home cooking nature of it is is sometimes all it takes.
1: Yeah, no. And, and if you experiment with these things, given the right day, I could prefer simply the tendon on, on a well-cooked short rib to a bone-in ribeye it It just depends I'm not saying every single time, but that can be good too
3: i look man i always have steaks in my freezer because i know that when i'm when i'm hungry when I've had a bad day and i feel like I really need to pick me up a a, a grilled steak is is my is my uh, that cut of meat that lean that, that more tender um quick cooked you know medium rare cut of meat is 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 my favorite and i don't know whether that's advertising and programming that fact that it's more expensive and i feel like i'm treating myself or or w- what exactly it is but that that does hit a pleasure center for me that that the other thing doesn't so i i think there's truth in what you're saying and i don't know whether there you know it's like nature versus nurture is that inherent to is mm-hmm. why is that i don't know it's delicious is why <laughs> yeah. um uh, you know however there's no question about it that each and, and that's culturally there are people that say you know a warm bowl of fried rice is the thing that um that brings me that you know steak doesn't do it for me at all It's a warm bowl of fried
2: rice or raw cookie dough like shout <laughs> right. to raw cookie dough I mean sweet tooth in us me I'm like Reese's peanut butter cups like the like the the holiday edition I'll go I'll go I'll rank those I'll say the trees are the bowl over the valentines the hearts over the easter eggs that's my hierarchy i think about these things that to me is my comfort pleasure center so it, i think it really just depends on who you yeah. are i mean yeah. god
3: country family we can we can organize it any way we want but um, <laughs> but it's got to be those three got, um, but when you look at the when you look at the you know meat that we eat and you say well you know there're definitely people that argue hey goat is the is the yeah. greatest meat and i say well you know it could be the greatest tasting for you but if you were to get all the people together and you were looking the beautiful thing about a um, uh, uh, about capitalism is people get to vote with their dollars every single day. And there's unbiased information out there for what people like the most based on what what we spend our money on. And we, we eat a lot more chicken and, and, than, than goat. We eat a lot more chicken than pork. We eat a lot more chicken than we eat a lot of chicken. Yeah. People like chicken. Yeah. Chicken can, tastes the best. Can I defend goat for a minute? i i am i
1: eat meat i like meat i'm a fan of meat the only place i went to a restaurant called carnivore in um johannesburg south africa and it was all uh, game meat and i ate some shit there that was not good but goat for people who are squirmy about this kind of thing I like lamb too but goat is actually less gamey than lamb I've found and 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 as far as like I just want to defend goat because <laughs> goat is a meat that none of my kids would ever touch until I took them for birria tacos and and they ate it and then i said by the way this is goat and they were all flabbergasted
2: Oh, there's a place by this old uh, the staple center called el perion and they had Caprito tacos there i used to go there every time i was in la i mean goat tacos there's a real Delicious. magic there absolutely i
3: i got to say this so you're listen. not a goat guy you're not no, a goat no, guy no it's not that it's not that I'm, <laughs> i here's the thing right <laughs> you were talking about lamb um there, I have a friend of mine who has a company. It's called Heritage Foods USA. Right, I I'm very familiar with guy. them. Yes, you, you it's great this, company. You, yes, you I've know, ordered Patrick. lots of meat from them. Okay, so you know the, I know Patrick very very well um, for years and years and years, and we we've you know he has all of these different breeds of 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 lamb. Like he'll have five different you know different types of lambs from all over the world that have different heritages and and and, and histories. And you can cook some of them and they're extremely gamey. Some of them have, you know, they all have different qualities. And so when we're talking about judging the, the, the inherent quality of an animal, it's like, man, it's so much more complicated than that. Something is great for grilling, something's great. That same strong flavor you know is going to last through a long braising and give you a delicious mm-hmm. outcome um whereas where where the more mild animal might um you would, that flavor would dissipate and it would be fairly bland at the end of the cooking whereas if you're grilling and needing it right away this the, the flavor is too pungent and overpowering so i think you know it's I said it was simple at the beginning of it. It's, it can be simple, but there, you know, the more you learn, like anything else, the more you unpack the more there is to find.
1: Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I think preparation is, is a very, very integral to this conversation. And I, I just wanted to, I just had to defend goat. Cause I'm a big fan of goat, curry goat, jerk, jerk goat, delicious stuff.
3: I guess I, I disparaged goat. I didn't mean to How
1: how dare you in any
3: place in the world where people have a choice of whether to eat goat or not eat goat, they eat less goat.
2: (laughs) I think you're probably right. You're you're, you're digging this hole, buddy. You're digging this hole, man. Um, I
1: (laughs) I have one more question and this is knives. I have uh, four insanely expensive knives that I hide from my wife and kids. And then I have some very expensive knives that I let them destroy. What are your thoughts on knives? Like, do you have to get the Wusthof $300 chef's knife in order to chop up a salad?
2: I'll say quickly, because I know he's a long answer. He's the chef. He are his tools. I went to Tokyo Hands in Tokyo and Shibuya. I paid $36 for a plastic handled Japanese carbon steel knife. And and it I use it and sharpen it and I love it. So my my, my sister in law owns a restaurant. She uses uh, rubber handled knives. They're they're great. They do the job. They're disposable. They so that's my short answer. You have a longer answer, chef. Go chef. I know. <laughs> I, look, I it think- depends, right? <laughs> look. I-
3: if you're kind of asking the question, like, what kind of car do you drive or what kind of t-shirt do you wear? Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, as a young man, I used to think, well, I don't understand why anybody would spend more. Like I got a pair, a set of Fruit of the Loom or Hanes t-shirts that are, you know, three for $7. And they're just as good as your t-shirt They do exact. my car doesn't need to go more than 73 miles an hour. Cause anything over 65 is illegal. So like What is the point of, of quality or luxury beyond what you can use it or need it for? And the answer is, I don't know. There's something intangible about having something that is, so the, the, there, 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 there are qualities in knives, like, you know, Victorinox knives, which are inexpensive um, are often what butchers, professional butchers reach for. They're easy to sharpen because their steel is a bit softer. Um, they have great, great quality and I use them um, all the time. I have the Wusthof knives that are, I think my favorite for a home cook. They're a little bit harder steel. They sharpen um, very well, but then they hold their edge in a way that I think the home chef maybe doesn't sharpen their knives as often or doesn't know how. So that becomes the challenge. Um, And then I've got super fancy Japanese knives that are handmade because they're beautiful items that are, that are, that have a tactile quality that when you use them, it's like a work of art and it's special. And you feel, you know, like that, what's, 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 what's the movie where they use a fancy sword to kill people? Like one of those. Fruit Ninja, Um, the game. (laughs) (laughs) So that there's, there's tangible and intangible aspects, but ultimately the care that you have for your knife. Um, how sharp your knife is and, and, and learning to sharpen or having somebody that can sharpen your knife for you. Um, that's really what's like a, an inexpensive knife that's sharpened is, is better than a dull fancy knife, Yeah. seven days a week and twice on Sundays, whether or not you go to church.
1: But, right. Yeah, we, and, uh, and the expensive ones, you still have to sharpen. Like I, I remember when I didn't really understand anything, I got some of these knives thinking, well, this knife is going to be exactly the same for the next 20 years. And I don't have to do anything to it. No such luck on that.
3: Just like roasting a chicken in 20 minutes. There are certain things that are just, unfortunately, you know, like you only get so much energy out of a gallon of gas, like, mm-hmm. you know, nothing, no, no, no,
2: no, no, knife stays sharp forever. Yeah. yeah. But there's a deep pleasure in shopping for a knife. I must say going to corn in the city in New York or going to some, some of these specialty shops in LA—it's just some. It's like collecting watches and cars and baseball cards. I mean, collecting knives is its own There's thing.
3: something for every 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 price <laughs> bracket. Maybe yeah. you can afford to you know, collect cars or you know baseball cards. We're we knife guys. That's we're, it, yeah, we're knife. It's, it's very true. I, I'm
1: I'm I'm a knife guy too. I like knives. I have a
3: huge. In Texas, you get guns and boots. You know. Yeah, it you really know? depends. Yeah. yeah,
1: guys, thank you so much. This was so this was so awesome, and I really really am excited about your book.
3: I want to cook with you. Yeah. I want. I want to. Uh, I want to have dinner and cook with you. I, that would make
1: me very happy. Let's make it. I, I would. I would love that. Yeah. I, I. I want to say the last time I prepared a five wagyu was the time that I made good uh, sticky rice, Ooh. and I laid the a five over it and then blow torched it for a couple of seconds. Did you do a sauce? There was no sauce. No. So, no. No sauce needed. The fat. No, a the little meat. bit of salt. Yeah. And salt. Simple salt. Lemon. Bread. Lemon or lime. No, but now that you say that, I feel a regret that it should have been some lemon or lime. There should have been a little acid. See, this is how this is how I want to improve.
3: Yeah, I had a I had a, a steak this like great that this great steak Italian steak it was the first time uh, they put olive oil and lemon on it. I thought, you know, that's so weird. Like American, I never would put olive oil, would never put lemon on a steak. But then it's like the acid cuts through the fat and it and it, oh. and, it, and, it and it like. It, it cleans your taste buds between bites in Tuscany. Yeah, they they Tuscan. just know
2: how to do it. I mean, it, it's insane in, in Central Korea and Japan where the, those big, you know, beef producing areas. It's amazing.
1: I was never a fan of arugula until I had it served under a steak in that preparation with a little olive oil and lemon. And then you go like, holy shit, this is a magical vegetable.
3: Yeah, there's so much of yeah. the interplay of food where you know bitter on its own might not um, excite your palate, but yeah. when you pair it with something sweet, all of a sudden it like resets and gets you ready. You know, that's one tip I'll I'll leave I'll leave you with here, which is when something um, that 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 when when something is not sweet enough, like um, we we tend to think, well, we should add sugar but if you think about adding the opposite flavor it brings out the sweetness so if i put if i if i have a pear for instance not very sweet i squeeze a little lemon on it the pear tastes more sweet oh, completely wow. crazy for us as humans to think like i added something sour and it made it taste more sweet but just like orange juice and toothpaste um, our tongue is reset by every single thing we eat and it re and and, and recalibrates it's treble and
2: bass. Think of it that way. It's like yeah. calibrating treble and bass. And sometimes when you turn up the treble, the bass will be will feel absolutely different, even though you have the bass in the same, the same setting. That's that's the way I come kind of with it music-wise.
1: I am gonna I am gonna literally try this today at my next meal. I'm gonna figure out what it's lacking and try the opposite. Amazing. Amazing, um, guys.
3: You're the man, brother.
1: Thank Thank you you so much.
2: Thank Thank you for for doing this. I really appreciate it. Appreciate it.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of American Glutton. I'm Ethan Suplee. You can follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast. Sincerely.
2: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?